Amen. I will follow you. I love that. I will follow who? I will follow my Lord Jesus because of what you did for me. Praise God for a song that's so rich. And we should be followers of our Christ because we love him because of what he did for us. But let's pray before we start the message. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're worthy of us following you, that you're a great God. And we just pray today, Lord, that you would speak. Your words are comforting. Your words are powerful. Your words are effective. My words are nothing, Lord. And I pray that you would speak and that you would open hearts and you would direct hearts and you would direct a message to each heart. And whatever the need is, you will fill the need because that's the kind of God you are that's concerned about all of our needs. So we pray, Lord, that you would be honored and that your word would be a blessing. And that if there's anybody here today, Lord, that has not followed you, has not made a commitment to give you their life, that today they see you clearly, Lord, and that they welcome you into their hearts. In your name, amen. Amen. So, you know, that's, um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, message and, and I want to read something to you because it's a message about workers. Workers. And that's what we are. Workers. Most of us work in the world. And I found an article that um, pretty interesting it says, do you ever feel overworked, overregulated, overleisured, underbenefited? Take heart. This notice was found in the ruins of a London office, an office building, and it was dated 1852, 156 years ago. And this was what they found, and it was all written out. It says, this firm has reduced the hours of work, and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m., and 6 p.m. on weekdays. That's a reduction. Clothing must be of a sober nature. The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors, nor will they wear hose unless it is in good repair. Overshoes and top coats may not be worn in the office, but neck scarves and headgear may be worn in inclement weather. A stove is provided for the benefit of the clerical staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the clerical staff bring four pounds of coal each day during the cold weather. Or you'll be cold. (laughs) No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. Did you hear that? You can't leave the room unless you say, I got to (laughs) go. No talking is allowed during business hours. There's some people in here, you would be fired (laughs) immediately. No craving of tobacco, wine, spirits, and human, it's a human weakness, and such is forbidden to all members of the clerical staff. Know that the hours of business have been drastically reduced. And the partaking of food is allowed between 11.30 and noon. But work will not stop at any case. So you eat and work, but you don't stop working. Members of 
the clerical staff will provide their own pens. A new sharp sharpener is available on application to the supervisor. The supervisor will nominate a senior clerk to be responsible for the cleanliness of the main office and the private office. All boys and juniors will report 40 minutes before prayers and will remain after closing for similar work. Brushes, brooms, scrubbers, and soap are provided by the owners. So you young people, you had to work much more. So you should be really, really happy today. The owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but expect a great rise in output to work to compensate for these near utopian conditions. Wow. I'm really, really glad it's 2008. And I want you to think about that. Hard work has always been important. And the Lord is looking for servants who work hard in his field. And the title of this message is, Are You Part of the Great Work of God? So we're going to go to uh, Nehemiah. And the reason we're going to go to Nehemiah is, Boy, that 30th anniversary last week was a blessing to all of those who attended, especially those who've been here for a long time. And wasn't that a blessing, an unbelievable blessing to hear and see the stories of families transformed through the dedication of the ministry of God. And that's what we saw. And a verse was read that day, and it was Nehemiah 417. And that stayed with me all week. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held the weapon in the other. And that touched me. They did their work with one hand and held the weapon in the other because they were committed to a job. And they understood what they were dealing with. As far as the enemy. I was reading something that they, a writer was talking about former President Dwight Eisenhower. And he says that leadership requires persuasion and conciliation and education and patience. It's long, slow and tough work. And given the requirements of the hard work involved in leadership, it's not surprising that the list of effective leaders in history is relatively short. Effective leaders are hard to find. And Nehemiah's name would be on that short list. Nehemiah. He was captive in a foreign country, had no way to return to his devastated homeland, and with no resources to rebuild, he couldn't go back. He served a pagan king, who had already stopped rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem in Jerusalem. In other words, Nehemiah had a, a lot going against him, just as we do. And I want you to think about this today. Because it says that God comforted his people by calling Nehemiah to restore the walls around the city. The city had been in ruins. The captors destroyed the city and burnt down the walls. And we're going to fast forward and go to chapter 4, 
But I want you at your convenience to read the book of Nehemiah, starting in chapter 1, and you'll be very encouraged. Now, chapter 4, half of the walls are now being built. They're built. So they've been building for a while. We're going to kind of go back and forth. But let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, when Sanballat heard that we were building, and Nehemiah is talking, he's telling his story. He says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? From those heaps of rubble burned as they are. And that is the great work of God today. Lives that have been burnt in rubble, in shambles. And those that are in leadership that are committed to the work of God are looking at lives that are just like these boulders. Devastated. And they're questioning. These people are questioning, can they restore people's broken lives? And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, they are, what are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stones. Looking at it, there's no way can this work stand the test of time or difficulty or tribulation or issues, problems. And then Nehemiah prays, hear also, God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Wow. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed... They were very angry. They plotted together to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And believe me, Satan has continued to be looking to end the great work of God since time began. He is committed to ending the work, stopping the progress, ending the building of lives and restoring lives that God has intended for those who have put their trust in him. And then it says in verse 13, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords. This was a man who was aware and was concerned and acted. And after looking over the things, he said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's what we must do today, brothers and sisters. We must fight the good fight of faith for our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, 
our sons, our daughters, our leaders. We must fight. And from that day on, half of the men did the work while the other were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officials posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the walls. And those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Committed. Focused. Determined. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And it goes on, and it's beautiful, and it ends, verse 21 says, So we continue the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, Have every man this helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. And God is looking for 24 hours a day Christians. Because that's what the fight requires. 24 hours a day. And Nehemiah was aware of that. So I want you to understand, this is a beautiful passage on the importance of the work of God and the commitment necessary. So we're going to talk about a couple of different things today. One of the things that we're going to talk about, which is very, 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 very important, is those called to lead must have a, her, a heavy burden for the work of God. The first group of those workers is those called to lead. You just can't put yourself in leadership. You have to have a heavy burden for leadership. When I watched that 30 years, what I saw was burdens manifested. Feeding lives, going through difficulty and challenges and issues and personalities and battles and conflicts and discouragements. And if Edo and Sylvia would come up here right now, I'd make you come up here and stand right here and everybody would give them an applaud for being leaders who said, I am burdened for the work of God. And only some are willing to do that. And I want you to understand that. And when you look at Nehemiah, go back to chapter 1. And you'll see what happened to this man. This is one of his brothers in verse 1 came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them. Nehemiah said, I was concerned about my people. So I questioned him about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. What he said was there are people in trouble. There are lives that are broken. There are needs that need to be filled. There are opportunities that nobody is looking for an opportunity to handle. There's issues, there's problems, there's situations, and we don't know what to do, and it looks hopeless. And Nehemiah says he heard these things. I sat down and wept. Oh, my God, that is what a man or a woman of God who's burdened 
for the ministry to lead those who are lost and to open those hearts that are closed and to lift those burdens have to be willing to weep. He cared so much. He says he sat down and wept. Remember, he's a cupbearer in the king's castle. And he's comfortable. He gets together with the king all the time. He's like this with the king. So you can believe his life is like this with the king. That he eats like this with the king. And he sits and he has a nice cozy bed with the king. Or next to the king. You know what I'm saying? He had a comfortable life. You can pretty much guarantee that. He wasn't a person who was living in a shack. He was living in a luxury. But he looked and heard the things about his people and he wept. He mourned. And then he prayed to God for his help. Those that are called to lead must have a heavy burden for the people who are lost. And they first must be called. God has to call them. And of course, first of all, they have to be born again. You cannot be used by God unless you are born again. You cannot be used in the ministry unless you truly are saved. I'm talking to people today who are born again. Who are saved. You must be burdened. You must be willing to sacrifice all and give up your worldly dreams. Everything that you have that is in the world, you must be willing to give it up. You must be willing to pray day and night and stay close to God. You must be sensitive to your own failings and weaknesses. You must be able to lead, encourage, discipline, and uplift. The cost is too great for most. And that's why there's only a few. And God bless the few. God bless you, Adol. God bless you. God bless Sylvia. God bless those that have said, I am going to do God's work. I'm burdened for the work of God. Now, the second group, because we have to move on. I'd like to keep you here until 1.30. But Adol said, no, I can't do that. The second group is those called to serve must truly be committed to help those in leadership, whatever the task may be. Those who are called to serve must be truly committed to help those in leadership, whatever the task may be. Understand something very important and don't miss this. Every single person who is saved is called to serve. Every single person who said, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Come save me. Be my Lord. Be my savior. Be my master. You are now a servant of the king. So everybody I mentioned here is a servant, a worker. Everybody is called that is truly born again. So we can't look at this and say, well, I'm not called. I'm not, I can't preach. I can't teach. 
Can you clean? Can you encourage? Can you love? Can you show kindness? Can you hug? Can you show commitment? Can you be available? Can you raise your home the way God wants you to raise your home? Can you be faithful? Now, if you go to chapter 3, it kind of talks about these workers. Like I said, we're going to move really fast because we don't have a lot of time. And the first one in Nehemiah 3.1, it says Elishabab, or Shabib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work to rebuild the sheep gate. And they dedicated it and set the doors in place. That was one group. They set the doors in place. Okay. I'm setting the doors in place. Who were they? Priests. Setting doors in place? Picking up doors? What was the second group? Go to verse 3 and kind of look at this group. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Hmm. That's good. The next section was repaired by men of Tekoa. Oh. Hmm. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They were all called. But they said, no, I don't want to put my shoulders to the work. I'm not willing to serve God. Clean the bathrooms? What do you mean clean the bathrooms? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? Do you know I have a degree? What do you mean sweep the floors? What do you mean go out and encourage somebody? I want to be in leadership. Well, are you burdened for leadership? Have you weeped for those who were lost? Have you prayed night and day and wept continuously because you can't stand to see people's lives ruined? Then just be a worker. God blesses the workers too. Lazy. That's what they are. They were lazy workers. And I read a story. It says there was a group of workers who were discussing how smart their dogs were. The first one was a computer worker who had his dog do some calculations. The dog was named T-Square. And he told him to go to the blackboard and draw a square, circle, and a triangle. And the dog did it with no problem. Square, circle, triangle, done. Then the factory worker said, well, my dog is better. His dog was named Slight Rule. And he was told to go fetch some a dozen cookies and bring them back. And divide them into four piles of three. Okay? Which slide rule did with no problem. Then the telephone worker yeah, said that was good, but he felt his dog was better. His dog, Measure, was told to get a quart of milk, pour seven ounces into a ten-ounce glass. And the, God, the, the, the dog did this with no effort. All three workers agreed that their dogs were the very smartest. Then they turned to the civil servant, and that's no knock on civil servants, and said, what can your dog do? And the civil servant then whistled shrilly and called his dog. His dog is Coffee Break. <laughs> so Coffee Break came slowly and aimly into the room, and the civil worker bent down and said, show the fellows what you can do, Mr. Coffee Break. 
So Coffee Break went over, ate the cookies, drank the milk, threw the other three dogs out the door, claimed he was injured his back, filled, filed for workers' compensation, and left home sick. <laughs> Coffee Break. And there were workers right there at the gate that were wanted to take a coffee break. They were lazy. I'm not willing to do the work. They were called, but they said no thanks. The workers must be dedicated to the work of God. That's what a worker has to be. You don't have to be skilled. You have to be dedicated, not lazy, not coffee break type of employee or workers. Must be trustworthy and loyal. That's all. Trustworthy. He can be called. She can be called. And trustworthy and loyal to leadership. Loyal to the work of God. Loyal to God. Must be humble no matter what profession they have and be willing to do whatever they're asked to do for the glory of God. And if you look at verse 8, it says that one of them was golds, with a goldsmith. And he repaired the next section. And one of them was a perfume maker and made repairs next to that. A goldsmith? (laughs) These hands will never work. These hands are made for gold. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that these hands should not be used in building. These are hands that are used for gold making. No, he built a gate. And a perfume maker, he had sweet hands, I guess, but still made repairs. Must be willing to do more than they're asked to do over and above the call of duty. Must be available at any time to answer the call for help. Must train their children to be helpers. Whoa, chapter, oh boy, look at verse 12. Shalom and son of Haloesh. Ruler of the half district of Jerusalem repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. What do you mean? You had little girls working? Yes. Because their parents were training them to work. I was walking with Adel and he didn't even know about the conversation because he took a phone call. And there were two young people that we passed up at the park. And they were 11-ish. And they were talking. And the girl said to the boy, I don't know why you didn't tell her friend to ask her out for you. That would have been better. You blew it. Ask her out? What do you mean, ask her out? For what? That's what they're doing today. Train your kids in the work of God or train them to go into the world. And believe me, you better remember that's a choice. And these men and women had their daughters working beside them. We had kids and my family was told this year that my daughter, because she gained a certain age, was now going to be used in the, the, uh, the moving ministry. So she went over to Benita's house and they were helping them work. And I was very thankful. And my report from my daughter was very good as well, where it says she worked hard all day. For what? 
for God's work. She was trained for God's work. Are we training our kids for God's work? Or are we training them for the world? These kids were trained for the world. And they were looking to the world. As a servant, we better be training our kids for God's work. And it doesn't take a master's degree to do that. It just takes faithfulness, a commitment, zealous for the work of God, which one of them actually says, it says in verse 20, he was zealously repaired in another section. Zealous for the work of God. I want to be zealous for the work of God. Do you? Zealous, not just a worker. I want to be a zealous worker. I want to be motivated, encouraged. I want to give my heart to the work of God. God deserves that kind of response from his family who love him, have seen what he's done for us. And then they went on and says that another, a worker needs to set a watch. Whoa. Guard his post. And Spurgeon was, said something really interesting about that. He was saying that we need to set a watch day and night to meet this threat. Now, individually, we need to set a watch. We need to be careful. We need to pay attention to what we do. We need to pay attention to our testimony. Set a watch, a guard over our lives. And he said that we need to set a watch against them day and night because whenever there's an enemy, he's attacking. So we need to set a watch because the devil will not give you notice when he's coming to tempt you. Set a watch 24 hours a day because the devil is looking to trip us up. So the workers have to be committed to be disciplined in the work of God and faithful and clean. Set a watch, he said. Children, set a watch. Spouses that have an unsaved spouse, set a watch. Set a watch in your house. Be careful. Be careful what your unsaved husband sees. Children, young people, if you have a parent who's unsaved, be careful. Set a watch on your, your character, your life. Set a watch on how we act at work. Set a watch where we're careful, we're cautious, we're interested in showing Christ to the world. Set a watch. Be careful. Don't just go in the world and do whatever you want to do. Set a watch. Be disciplined. Do your work with enthusiasm. Watch your temper. Watch your tongue. Watch, watch your actions. Be gentle. Be loving. Be kind. Be Christ-like so the world can see Christ in us. Set a watch. And we're moving really, really fast. I better hurry up. Because there's a third group. Those opposed to the work of God never quit. That third group, they never quit. The opposition never stops. And that's why they says, what? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? Can they do this? Even if a fox climbed on it, it would just crush it. Ah, shut up. <laughs> they just clamor on and on and on. And what are they looking to do? They're willing to thwart the work of God. Shut up. Don't talk to us. 
They oppose God's work, not just our work. This is God's work they oppose. They're enemies of the cross, not just of men. They're not concerned about the children of God or the work of God. They're complainers. They're discouragers. They're plotters. They're slanderers. They're mockers. They're jealous. They work for Satan. They're committed to stopping the work at all costs. Remember when Jesus was being tempted? It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible about Satan. He was tempted. And in and, and, and Luke, it says that Jesus answered, it says it does not. The word does not say, do not put your God to the test. Where it says, do not put your God to the test. And what I want you to hear something. It says, when the devil had finished all these temptings, he left him until an opportune time. What do you mean opportune time? He says, I'm coming back when there's an opportunity, when you're weak, when your guard is down, when I think that you will be vulnerable. Those who are looking to thwart the work of God are committed 24 hours a day. So we better have a guard 24 hours a day. We better have a weapon and we better be working at the same time. 24 hours a day. And I got to move faster. Which I will do. And I read this quote, and I love this. It says, we must work and fight by faith. Some people could ask the question, is the work too much for us? That is the wrong question. Here is the right question. Is the work too much for God? The answer is a resounding no, a thousand times no. The work is not too much for God. It is too much for us. And the fourth point is when all is said and done, God is opposed to the wicked, but blesses the righteous. When all is said and done, when everything is laid on the table, when everybody is kind of living their lives and doing whatever they want to do and choosing whatever group they want to live in, when all is said and done, God is opposed to the wicked and blesses the righteous. There is victory for those in Christ. When all is said and done, when the book is closed, at the end of the book, you can guarantee God wins, you lose if you're on the enemy's side. You lose. Game over. There is no winning without Christ on our side. And in Exodus, it says, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger, consumed them like stubble. And Jeremiah says, I set a trap for you, O Babylon. You were caught before you knew it. You were found and captured because you opposed the Lord. You were found and captured because you opposed the Lord. Any opposition will be thwarted. There is no way without being in the right group. You want to be on those that are opposed to God? Well, that's not the right group. That's not the right team. You're working with the wrong odds. You're looking for the wrong result. And I guarantee you loss. Guaranteed. We must remember that there's no power in the universe that can stop or thwart the great work of God, period. He is faithful to his saints to the end. He's the great comforter. He's the great protector. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He keeps his promises. Praise be to the Lord, in First Kings it says, who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. 
Not one word is spelled of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Not one word has failed or will ever fail. Period. He keeps his promises. He also promises to destroy Satan and all his workers. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy the devil's work. Hmm. And we see it in Nehemiah 6, and don't go there. It says, so the wall was completed in the 25th, in 22, it was like 52 days. And when all the enemies heard about it, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They were thwarted. They couldn't handle it. They didn't really get it because they said, we, we, I, 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 we lost. We lost. Over. Done. Which group are you in today is the question. And I read something called build. It says a builder or a wrecker. As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town with a whole heave and a hoe and a lusty yell, they swung a beam from the sidewall and it fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the men you hire if they wanted to build? He gave me a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. All I thought to myself as I went away was that these roles have I to play. Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town content with the labor of tearing down? Oh, Lord, let my life and my labors be that which build for eternity. Amen. Am I a builder or a wrecker? Am I working with Satan to tear down lives and destroy the building and the great work of God? Or am I working along the sidelines, loving whatever I have to do, sweep, move, stack, everything I can do for Christ? The great work of God encompasses all the labors that God needs in the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't matter what you do for God if it's for him. You could be a wife, a son, a daughter. Just be obedient to the call and faithful. And a worker, not lazy. And I need to end, but I have to read you a story. And it's a long story, but it's, I'm going to read it fast. Because it's a great story. It says, about six years ago, I was speaking at a luncheon held in the Civic Auditorium in the city of Oklahoma. I settled myself at a place at the head table. I picked up my fork and noticed that two rose-petaled radishes adorned my salad plate. Someone had taken the time to pretty up two radishes just for me. Then I noticed that each salad at the head table had two neatly curled radishes. I turned to the lady sitting to my right side, and I said, I'm impressed by the radishes. 
She said, you're impressed by what? <laughs> the radishes, I said. Look, each salad plate at your table and our table is, has curled radishes. Yes, the radishes. Oh, okay. They're pretty, she said. They're more than pretty, I said, exercising a questioning smile. They're really pretty. They're more than pretty, I said. Someone took special care to do these. Don't they all have them, she asked. Gazing out at all the tables, I looked and I was astonished. Each salad plate was adorned with two curled radishes. They're all curled. That took a lot of time. I'm not on the planning committee, but Gertrude is. My table mate responded. She turned to get the attention of Gertrude three chairs down. Mrs. George wants to ask you something about the radishes, she whispered. To the what? Gertrude mouthed. The radishes. Is there something wrong with your radishes, she asked. No, they're fine. I just thought it was nice to have them all curled. Oh, Marietta does those. The lady of the radishes. Gertrude tells me. I don't want to miss anything. Marietta does those. All of them, she said. I knew the head count of the room and was astonished because there was basically around 800 radishes. Yes, but Marietta wants to do it. Would you like to meet her? She's in the kitchen. So Gertrude and I went to the kitchen, and there I met Marietta, the lady of the radishes. Gertrude tells me you curled all these radishes. They're lovely. Each salad looks so festive. I don't mind doing it. I just, it just takes time, Marietta replied. I didn't know what else to say, and I left. Later I spoke, and there was an encouraging response. Afterwards, the lady scurried past me to murmured greetings, and a few lingered to speak of God in their lives. When we finished, it was raining so heavily that we hurried across the parking lot to the car through the rain, and I could see a lady carrying her large polka dot umbrella that had collapsed on one side waiting by our car. It was Marietta. She was smiling as though she had found, like I had found her on a sunny day in an especially delightful garden. I had to see you, she said. I heard your speech. It was good, she said. Now I have to go home. I slipped inside my car, but Marietta crouched down close to the window and called to me. And she said, just remember this. You keep telling people about Jesus and I'll keep curling the radishes. The rain and my tears splattered the picture of her face as we started to go back to the, out of the driveway. Oh, dear Marietta, I have not forgotten. We are do our jobs in the love of him who does all things well. She said, you just keep doing your job. And I'll do my job of curling the radishes. Because she was doing it for the glory of God. Are you doing work for the glory of God? It says that when Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem, it says he wept over it. You know why he wept over it? He says, if you even had known that this day would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. 
The day will come when you and your enemies will build an embankment against when we will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone together because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. There's a time when God comes to us and he says, I've called you. And I pray for those today who are called. Some are called as leaders. Some are called to serve. Some are called to oppose the wicked and walk faithfully. And some are called by Satan to thwart the work of God. I hope you're not in that group. We all play a part. But the question really is, is what part do you play in this great work of God on earth right now? Now, we're going to pray. And I pray. Everybody close your eyes. I pray for you today. Everybody close your eyes, please. Is there anybody in here that really knows that they're in the wrong group and they want to truly be saved? Is there anybody who wants to make a decision to say, I want to get saved. I want to be for Christ. I don't want to work with the enemy anymore because those who aren't for him are against him. Is there anybody who wants to give their life to Christ? All you have to do is put your hand up. And it's a simple prayer of faith where you can invite the Lord into your heart and you will be saved. If you are in that position today and willing to make that decision, just put your hand up and put it down. Anybody? I see your hand. Anybody else? That you have been working with the enemy and really don't, haven't realized and today it really hit home. That I'm opposed to Christ because I'm not with him. And you want to make a decision to give your life to Christ. It's a simple decision. I believe you, Lord Jesus, that you came and died for me and I want to be saved. Just put your hand up and bring it back down. That's all you have to do. Make a decision for Christ. Anybody? Anybody else? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we honor you for your life and what you've done for each one of us, Lord, that knows you as Lord and Savior. First of all, we pray for this lady who put her hand up. Lord, we pray that you would come into her heart, that you would show her the love of Christ, that she would give her life to you, that she'd make a decision, that she'd make a decision today to say, Lord, I want you as my Lord and Savior And we praise you for that. We praise you for touching her heart. And we ask that you would change her life and give her a new life. And all of us here, Lord, who don't really know you and aren't willing to make that decision, Lord, I I just ask that you would just continue to just press on their heart. Do whatever you need to do to bring them to a knowledge that there is no other life outside of Christ. And those that are here, Lord, that are workers for you, Lord, just I hope it was encouraging to keep our eyes fixed on you, to continue the work, to be radish makers, to be willing to do whatever you've called them to do, and to be faithful, not discouragers, but encouragers and workers for the cross. What a great work, the work for the kingdom of God, and may we all participate in that as children of the king. And may we do it zealously, Lord. We just praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.